One of the things I love about these small group videos is not only are they good fun, they also make an important point. In this video especially, if you think about the idea of empathy or being empathetic, in the video you see uh, a great satire of what's not supposed to happen. Here this couple, Randy and Sandy, have just had a baby and it's a baby shower for them. And the rest of the small group is neither entering into their celebration nor into their suffering. So as illustrated in the video, instead of recognizing that when anyone has a newborn, there's not much sleep that's going on, the people in the small group seem unable to sort of empathize with that situation. Likewise, on the other extreme, Tim and Jan choose this moment to announce that they're pregnant, and the small group, instead of celebrating with Randy and Sandy in their pregnancy and in the birth of their child, they're distracted and go off and celebrate uh, with this other couple. Now, maybe you've had something like this happen. Of course, this is satire, but the reason it's funny is because these kinds of things do happen in life. Maybe at your wedding, uh, one of the toasts that was given was more about the person giving the toast than about you, the happy couple on this day. <clears throat> Maybe you've come home from school one day announcing to your family, I got a 90% on that really difficult math test, only to hear a sibling say, either to you or to your parents, wow, that's great, I got 100% on my math test. Maybe you've been in a situation where you have been sharing about some struggles that you've been having at work. And someone's comment is, well, at least you have a good paying job. Or maybe you have announced to someone that you just received news this week that you have prostate cancer. And their response is, well, that's the good kind of cancer, right? Like that can be treated. I think I know someone who had that and everything was okay for them. The problem in all of those situations is a lack of empathy, a lack of engaging with someone in where they're at, whether having to do with celebration or having to do with sorrow. One of the classic examples of this in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, the non-empathetic one is the older brother. The younger brother who goes out to sow his wild oats, he rejects and leaves his father behind, and every day his father in great sorrow is waiting at the city gate for any news that he might hear of his youngest child. The older brother, however, he's nowhere to be found, joining with his dad in that sorrow. Likewise, when the younger brother finally comes to his senses and the Lord brings him back home, the father says, it is necessary for us to celebrate because this lost sheep has been found. The older brother refuses to join in the celebration. And that's a sign that there's something wrong in the relationship between the older brother and his father because he refuses to rejoice with his father. He refuses to weep with his father when it's time for weeping. 
All of this is a sign of a lack of empathy, a lack of joining in both with the celebration and with the sorrow. And this morning we have the opportunity to open God's Word and to think about the concept of being empathetic. So please take a Bible and turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It's page 920 in the church Bibles. Romans chapter 12. We're in a series on the Ten Commandments of Love within the larger context of the book of Romans. And we've been looking through these commandments, listening to instruction from God on how to have the best possible relationships one with another. God says over and over again, love one another. And in Romans 12, God is giving us specific instructions about how to love one another. We're to love one another the way that God loved us. And in Romans 12, we have 10 commandments. This today is commandment number nine, the ninth commandment. And it's given to us in verse number 15. God says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's a pretty straightforward and simple commandment, but it's rich in its applications for blessing the personal relationships that all of us have. Marriage relationships, parenting relationships, work relationships, extended family relationships, every different kind of relationship. God's instructions are rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now when we think about this commandment, I had some trouble this week thinking about what to call it. There were really two choices. On one hand, there is the word empathy. Now the word empathy is sort of a strange word in that it was introduced into the English language in 1909. It's not a very old or very common word. It was introduced in 1909 by a a Cornell psychologist who was translating a German work. And he needed a word for, forgive my German pronunciation, Einfühlung, which means feeling one's way into. And so he invented an English word, empathy. That word is not found in our Greek New Testament. And it is slowly in English, though, beginning to take the place of the word sympathy. One of the places you can see this is in the difference in the NIV translation from 1984 to 2011. If you have one of the church Bibles, you have a 2011 NIV translation. But in 1984, the translation of Hebrews 4.15 read like this. Speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. And the Greek word is sympathio. With our weaknesses. It's a translation of what we have in the Greek. Sympathio, you can see that we would get the word sympathize. 
Well, in modern language, the word empathy has begun to replace the word sympathy when you want to exper- when you want to express the idea of feeling along with someone so that in our 2011 NIV the translators have chosen to translate the verse for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize still the same greek word which is sympathio But the translators have recognized that in today's culture, the word empathy better explains this idea of feeling alongside of someone, to enter into someone's feelings, and that today the English word sympathy simply means to express feelings to someone, to give them your sympathies, Whereas empathy has this idea of feeling it alongside of them. So one choice is the better choice from a modern point of view, and that's the word empathy. The second choice was the word compassion, which in Latin literally means to feel along with. Compassion is the better choice from a biblical point of view, in the sense that it is a much more common word in the Bible. It is used throughout the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. The problem, however, with compassion is that in our modern usage of the word compassion, it tends to imply action to help someone as opposed to focusing on the feelings of going through something with someone. So while there is no perfect word to use, I settled on the word empathy. And so our commandment is be empathetic. Feel along with people what it is that they're feeling. Not just the suffering, but also the rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So this morning, as we begin our study of empathy, we begin, of course, with the character of God. In Exodus chapter 33 and 34, Moses asks God to reveal his glory. Moses says, I'm supposed to represent you to the children of Israel I need to know as fully as possible who you are so that I can represent you to your people. And so God says, all right, you can't handle seeing my full glory, but stay here in the cleft of the rock and I will put my hand over your face to block some of the radiance of my glory and I will let a portion of my glory pass by you. At the moment that that happens, the Lord announces his name to Moses and the deepest essence of his character. This is what is said at the moment that God's glory is passing by Moses. The Lord, the Lord. Now those are his, that's his personal name, Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When we went through the book of Exodus, this was our benediction. Because this is the essence of the description of who God is. He is more than this. But when asked to sort of state who he is in his glory, God declares himself to be the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. That's this idea, empathy, compassion, the idea that God feels things along with us. Have you ever heard anyone say, or have you ever felt yourself, God doesn't care? There is perhaps no worse blasphemy than that. At the core of who he is, is the fact that he cares. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The reason why Satan tempts us with the lie that God doesn't care is because it's at the core of who God is. Whatever it is you can accuse God of, you cannot ever accuse him of apathy. You can never, you can never accuse God of not caring. At the very essence of his being, he is compassionate. He feels what his people are experiencing. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The opposite of love is not usually hate. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is simply not caring. And when God is given the opportunity to, to reveal his nature and his character, the first word that he chooses, compassion. God is a caring God. He's a feeling God. He's an emotional God. He engages with his people through compassion. Now Moses was only able to see a portion of God's glory. And that represents the fact that God's glory cannot be captured in human words, even the words of the Scriptures. Therefore, God himself became a human so that we might see the fullness of his deity in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ. And that everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus is, shows us the full nature of who God is in a way that words themselves cannot fully express. And so to truly understand what it means for God to be compassionate, for God to be empathetic, we need to look at the character of Jesus. I want to share with you three stories this morning from the life of Jesus that show what it means for the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. What does it mean when we say that God is empathetic and that he's compassionate? The first story comes out of Luke chapter 10. 
In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out 72 of his disciples to go out with the good news, with power and authority to cast out demons, to share the gospel, to heal people. In Luke chapter 10, it says, when the 72 returned, they returned with joy. In other words, they returned rejoicing and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. At that time, Luke says, Jesus, full of what? Joy. Through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, this is noteworthy because it's the only time in the New Testament where we're told that Jesus is full of joy. That's interesting to me. Why is Jesus rejoicing at this moment? Because his disciples are rejoicing. I mean, they've come back and they're like, you're not going to believe this power. Jesus is like, yeah, I've seen it. (laughs) I get it. They come back and they're rejoicing and they're like, even Satan has to submit to us. Jesus already knew that before they went out. Why is he celebrating? Because he's entered into their joy. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's feeling what they feel. It's not like they come back and he says to them, you think that's great, you should have been here when I created this place. He already knows this is going to be a successful mission. He already knows what's going to happen. When they come back, he doesn't say, well, now that's nice, but let's not get too excited. They're overjoyed, so he's overjoyed. That's this idea. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Enter into their rejoicing. That's exactly what Jesus did. He literally couldn't be happier. Do you realize that when you come home having done well at a class in school that's been so hard for you that you prayed over, or when you've led somebody to faith, or when you got through a difficult uh, conversation with someone and you're giddy, that God is giddy too, that he's rejoicing with you, that he's not sitting back saying, well, that's not bad, let's see how you do the next time. No, he doesn't sit back and say, I knew you'd get through it, I planned it before the beginning of time. He enters into your rejoicing. This is the amazing thing about Jesus is we get to see the fullness of who God is in bodily form. And when these disciples come back rejoicing, Jesus is rejoicing. And that's great news because it means that God rejoices with us. Anything that causes you to rejoice causes him to rejoice. Second example. Luke chapter 19. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. That's his plan. He's been to Jerusalem many times, but this time he knows he's going to be crucified. Luke chapter 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he did what? He wept over it and said, If you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you 
and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now this is a really fascinating passage to me. According to that passage, Jesus is predicting the destruction that's going to come in A.D. 70 when the Romans invade Jerusalem and destroy the city. According to that passage, why are the children of Israel and the city of Jerusalem being punished? Because they're not recognizing Jesus is coming to them. He's about to go into that city and they're going to crucify him. This will be the punishment for their rejection of him. And what's his response? He weeps. He weeps. Why? Because he knows what's coming. He knows the pain they're going to experience. Even though it is pain as a result of sinful choices, it's still pain. Jesus knows that God the Father will be angry for what they're doing. Jesus himself is about to go to the cross and bear the wrath for all the sins that they're going to commit, that we've committed, that everybody's committed. But in the midst of that, he doesn't sit back and say, you're going to get what's coming to you. He enters into the pain that they're going to experience and he weeps for them. He's feeling their pain even while he's a victim of what they're going to do. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Please don't think for one moment that God impassively disciplines sin. Don't think for one moment he unemotionally and apathetically punishes sin. Jesus is the fullness of the character of God. And when Jesus weeps over the pain that sin brings, we know that God weeps because Jesus is God. One final example. It may be an example that some of you thought of when we think of God and empathy. And it's the story in John chapter 11 when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Now the thing that's interesting to me about this story is that Jesus gets news early on that Lazarus is sick. And the disciples are like, hey, let's, let's go help. And Jesus purposefully stays away so that Lazarus dies so that Jesus can come and perform a mighty miracle. When he does show up to the house of Mary and Martha, Lazarus's two sisters, Mary goes running to meet Jesus, and we pick up the story in John 11. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. 
Now again, the thing that's fascinating to me, it's not like Jesus hears news that Lazarus is sick, rushes to the place, gets there just in time, is overwhelmed with emotion at all that's going on and says, forget it, I don't care, I'm raising this guy from the dead, and then does it. That's not what happens. This is the purposeful plan of Jesus. He stays away so that Lazarus will die, so that he will come and raise him from the dead. That's the plan from the very beginning. But notice Jesus doesn't show up all giddy. Now, if it's me, I'm giddy. Because I'm like, I know you're sad now, but I got something that's coming. He knows they're about to see the great, one of the greatest miracles of all time. He knows they're about to get their brother back. He knows that great things are about to happen. But he doesn't show up and say, now don't cry. Just you wait. I got something powerful coming. All of that is true. But if Jesus knows that Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead, why is he weeping? Because he's entered into their pain. And he's weeping for every person who is going to die. For every lost loved one. Lazarus will die again. Every single human being before Christ's return will at some point die. It's that pain that Jesus is entering into and weeping over. Yes, there will be rejoicing soon, but it is sad. This is why even though 1 Thessalonians tells us we do not mourn over the death of someone who dies in Christ like those who have no hope, we still mourn. We weep at funerals. There is crying at the most Christian of funerals. And it's not just us who is crying. It's God. Remember, Jesus has come to show us the character of God. And what words themselves could not fully express, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, God expresses fully in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus weeps at the sorrow of death, God is weeping at death. That's empathy. That's rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's mourning with those who mourn. That's at the essence of the character of who God is. He is not apathetic. He is not impassive. He is not unemotional. This raises two questions for me and perhaps for you. Number one, why are we at times so non-empathetic? And number two, how can we become more empathetic? How can we be more like Jesus? Let's tackle the first question first. Why are we not as empathetic as Jesus is. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus has a very interesting phrase, speaking of apathy. He goes on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. 
we sang a dirge and you did not cry. Now what's going on here is Jesus is accusing our generation of apathy. There is music playing and celebration and people are not joining in the celebration and there is mourning that is happening and people are not joining in the mourning. And the question is, why don't we engage more with others' celebrations and with others' suffering? Well, there are many reasons. But why don't we dance when someone is playing music? And why don't we sing along when others are singing? Well, one of the reasons is we're afraid. We're afraid of how we'll look. We're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid that you're only really allowed to dance if you're a great dancer and you shouldn't be singing unless you're a great singer. And we become self-conscious and we think about ourselves instead of others and instead of engaging and joining in with what's going on, we sit back and we are afraid that we might be insulted or we might be made fun of or we might look foolish or we might do the wrong thing. That's why we're not very empathetic. We think when someone is suffering, we have to have the exact right word to say. we got to have some way to fix it. We're worried about how we'll look. We don't join in their celebrations because we think, maybe I won't have the right thing to say or the right thing to do, or everyone will be looking at me if I just jump in and join with them. That same attitude is why we refuse to engage with others. But the point is, dancing is never about skill. And singing is never about talent. It's always about desire. Being, being, being empathetic towards someone, it's not about having the right words to say. It's simply about being present. It's about participating. Singing is beautiful when people participate, and it's not very good when just simply professionals do it. When someone is also celebrating. When someone is suffering. The point is simply, just be there. Don't worry about what you're going to say. In fact, it's often better not to say anything at all. Just simply participate. But we don't, because we're more worried about us and how we look than about the person who is suffering or celebrating. There's another reason why when people are dancing or singing that we don't join in. It's a modern paraphrase, but it's because we're taping it all on our cell phones. What I mean by that is technology today creates a culture of observation. Televisions, cell phones, social media, movies. It puts a barrier, a technological barrier between us and what's going on. And the point is, this culture of observation seeps into our bones that somehow we're on this earth to watch a movie that's happening all around us and to record it for future generations. The fact of the matter is, technology breeds apathy. It creates a barrier between us. Empathy is moving away the technology and engaging in what's going on. So how do we become more empathetic? 
Well, we do what God did, which is incarnation. Incarnation, being present with us. God demonstrated his empathy and God engaged empathetically by leaving heaven and becoming one of us to engage with us. And so the solution is rather straightforward. If you want to be a more empathetic person, engage with people. Spend time being present with people. The more time you spend with technology, the more time you spend by yourself, the less empathetic you're going to be. The more time you spend engaging with people, the more empathetic you're going to be. It's not about taking classes or getting trained. It's simply about being present with people. And when you're there, make use of the incarnational experiences that you've had. What I mean by that is this. If you're speaking to someone, a student who's talking about the difficulties of peer pressure in school, don't say to them, you think that's bad? Wait till you get to where I'm at. Or, I'd be so glad if I didn't have all this stress and all I had to worry about was peer pressure. Think again what it was like for you in school when you experienced peer pressure. Or perhaps more contemporary, think about the kind of peer pressure you experience at work. It may not be peer pressure towards drinking or drugs or hooking up, but it might be peer pressure to doing unethical things at work or working too many hours or abandoning things that are of value. Everybody knows what peer pressure is, and so simply to engage with where they're at, think through what experience you're currently going through that they're going through. If they're struggling with not getting enough playing time on a sports team, don't say, well, hey, sports aren't really that important. Think about how you feel when at work you got passed over for an assignment that you really wanted to have, or when everybody in the neighborhood decided to do something and you got excluded from it, and you simply are showing up and and watching everybody else get to do this thing. If someone is celebrating what it's like to learn something in their faith that you've known for years and years, don't say to them, yeah, that's really cool. I'm glad you finally figured that out. Think about the last time you were in church and God spoke something to you that you... Think about that joy that you went through at that moment and join in their celebration. They, must have ju- they may have just discovered something that's brand new that they should have known for a long time. But you and I too, we know the joy of that discovering. Enter into that. If someone is sharing with you about the difficulty of the monotony of the work that they're going, that they, that they go to at their job, don't think to yourself, well, at least you have a high paying job. Think about monotonous tasks that you have to do. Do you like cooking meal after meal? Do you like cleaning up? Do you like the things at your job that you don't enjoy doing over and over again? Engage in whatever experience is comparable and use those feelings and emotions to enter empathetically into what's going on. Listen, life is life. Pain is pain. Joy is joy. The details may change, But every single one of us have been given a life so that we can empathize with others as they go through their life. 
Apathy and selfishness destroys relationships. You see it in the video. You see it in the story of the older brother and the prodigal son. We see it in our own lives. Empathy creates and fosters relationships. Now, there's been lots of stuff in the news this week about refugees. At Calvary Church, uh, we're involved with Syrian refugees, some refugees from South Sudan. I want you to understand we're doing that out of empathy, out of compassion, that this is God's heart. I know what it's like to live in a different country, and I was there on my own. It's hard. It's difficult. I may never have been a refugee, but to try to think through what must it be like, what must it feel like to lose everything. I have lost things before. And we are engaged in trying to minister to those who are in these kinds of situations because God's heart is a compassionate heart and an empathetic heart. And I'm not here to talk about politics with you. But as a pastor, I'm always on guard to warn you that there are certain spirits in this world that are antithetical to who God is. And I've warned you many times that the spirit of this world when it comes to human sexuality is in many ways not from the Lord. And I've warned you that the spirit of this world when it comes to money and materialism in many ways is not from the Lord. And I would be remiss if this morning I didn't also warn you there is a spirit in this world that is not empathetic, that is not compassionate, that's not from the Lord. Our God is a compassionate and empathetic God. And however the Lord has you working that out, he means for us individually to engage, to be a blessing, to show love, to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to mourn with those who mourn. There are complexities in how to work this all out. I understand that. I'm not smart enough to figure out how all of that's supposed to work. But I do know that the Lord is a compassionate God and that we as a church we want to be compassionate and empathetic. And may the Lord give us strength and wisdom to be able to do that in the midst of a world that isn't always as compassionate and empathetic as Jesus.